This is Annie Stevens Gleason, Minister for Worship and Incorporation at the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'd like to welcome you to our worship podcast. This is the Holy Eucharist Rite 2 for February 25th, 2024.
Good morning. Wonderful. I'm so glad to be with you all this morning. It's a joy. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to gather with you and worship today. Um, okay, before we get started, uh, let's take a big deep breath. Ready? All right, we made it. We got it. Okay. I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time or for the first time in a long time. It's great to have you with us. And I want to welcome those who are joining us on our live stream. We're so grateful you could be with us in this way. If you'd like to get to know our church better, you can go to our website, redeemer-cincy.org. That's redeemer-cincy with a y.org. You can click on the About tab there, learn more about us, and uh, then com contact us and let us know about you so we can welcome you into this beloved community. Friends, I have just a few announcements this morning before we get going. I want to remind you that we are squarely in the season of Lent now, in our second uh, week of Lent. How's everybody doing on your Lenten discipline? I really dropped the ball this week bad. I was doing good for the first half, and then it all fell apart. But guess what? Tomorrow is a new day, and Lent is like 12 steps, just one day at a time, okay? So you're, you'll be okay. Uh, don't give up is what I'm telling you. Um, part of our Lenten programming at Redeemers, we have some wonderful offerings for adult education, both on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings. So immediately following this service in the parlor, we are, we are continuing with our Lenten series, Nourished by Love, the Holy Eucharist. We're going to be focusing on the nourishing power of our communion meal all throughout Lent. Today, we join uh, Herschel Wade as he, we he leads us in the exploration of the Eucharist as radical hospitality. And then this Wednesday evening, we will continue our series on death and dying uh, called In the Hope of the Resurrection, How to Prepare Faithfully for End of Life. That program begins at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday uh, with a meal in the parlor. And listen, even if you missed last week, you are absolutely welcome to join us this week. You can find the sign-up for that on our website um, or on our app. We are also getting prepared for a book study. And the book study is called The Gift of Empathy, and that begins on Monday, March 4th at 6.30 p.m. in the parlor. And the group will meet monthly through May, so you can find more information about that on the events page, and the books are available at the receptionist desk on the office level. Um, I'm, I'm fresh back this morning, my friends, from our vestry retreat. The vestry is the elected leadership of this church. We had our vestry retreat this weekend up at Proctor Camp and Conference Center, and the sub part of the staff, some of the staff joined us, and so uh, uh, a couple of us uh, drove back uh, early this morning, and we are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to be together. But some of you were praying for our vestry as we met, and um, it turned out we decided to keep having church, so everything's going well. So, uh, so thank you so much for your prayers. We greatly appreciate them. Um, be sure to take a look at all of our Lent and our programming for Lent to Holy Week. It's on our website under the Connect tab, and there is a button on your app that's just all of the information on Lent to Holy Week. At this time, we invite all preschool to elementary school-aged children to join. I see Tim there in the back. Tim and Sarah are in the back, and um, we're gonna, um, they are uh, going to lead those kids into the chapel for Donuts and Jesus. That is an age-appropriate interactive worship for children. The Donuts and the Jesus are both waiting in the chapel, and you will join us back here for communion uh, when the time comes. When we get to the final hymn today, my friends, you'll get reminded about this, but when you get to the final hymn today, the hymn number is correct, but the hymn that's printed in the bulletin is not correct. It's always important for us to remember that only God is perfect. Um, but you have these wonderful red books in front of you in your pews that are hymnals. And so when it comes time for the closing hymn, we will go to the number that's there, uh, hymn 675. You'll be reminded of this again, but I'm just letting you know now. These are, in fact, all the announcements that I'm going to make this morning. I invite you please to stand as you are able and we will begin our worship together.
Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. A reading from Genesis. <clears throat> when Abram was 99 years old, <clears throat> the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. <clears throat> Walk before me and be blameless and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall call her Sarah, Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. The word of the Lord.
A reading from Paul's letter to the Romans. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said. So numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words it was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. The word of the Lord. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of our Lord. dominion belongs to the Lord, and God rules over the nations. May I speak with fear, trembling, truth, grace, and love in name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now Jesus decides to speak openly. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but human things. Now, that's rough. Poor, impetuous Peter cannot catch a break. But it was only moments before that Peter finally got something right. Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? The disciples chime in, running down a list of the usual suspects. Some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. But Jesus is not about to hear nor entertain that nonsense. So the question is aptly rephrased. But who do you say I am? Peter answers, you are the Christ. And then he is told to tell no one about Jesus. Well, my question is, how did Peter identify Jesus correctly as the Christ, the Messiah, but misunderstand Jesus' prediction that he would suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed after three days and rise again? Yes, Jesus has already given us the answer, but we'll get back to that. But in my opinion, maybe Peter was not so deserving of such a harsh rebuke. Peter was certainly entitled to some partial credit. His answer was certainly not a blind or an uneducated one. But it was based on real events, real experiences, things that, that Peter had seen with his own two eyes. And if we look back at the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, like Peter, we observe a powered spirit, a spirit empowered, divinely ordained Jesus, who not only taught and preached the good news concerning the kingdom of God, but also someone who made real the promises of God of renewal and restoral in the world and in communities. We would see a Jesus who liberated communities from illness, disease, death, supernatural forces of evil, and powers of darkness that held captive the people rendered vulnerable by oppressive imperial hegemonic structures and hierarchies. Importantly, we would see someone who preached hope and made hope real by addressing real needs and real lives. We'd see a Jesus with the power to repair the terrible damage inflicted 
find the imperial structures unvulnerable and powerless. We'd also see someone known by the demons as a holy one. Someone who was a source of miracles, who walked on water, and even the winds obeyed. For the disciples, Jesus had proven to be someone with divine wisdom concerning the very much awaited kingdom of God. He had on multiple occasions masterfully bested fierce opposition from the most respected religious authorities. He astounded the crowds with his teachings and actions, and he demonstrated both the power and authority expected of a Messiah. However, such an expectation comes up short. It distorts one's vision and makes one see with the human eyes. On one level, Peter's eyes did not cause him to miscalculate Jesus' power. Peter was able to see all of Jesus' wondrous feats. However, he was not understand what Jesus was aiming to accomplish. He and the other disciples seemed to be more preoccupied with Jesus' messianic power and title rather than his life-giving mission. Of course, the title Messiah is important for establishing an authority bestowed by God, but what good is a title when it detached from Jesus' countercultural mission to seek and save the lost, the broken, and outcast? No. Peter's mind wasn't capable of envisioning all the possibilities accessible to God, especially not a God who came to serve and not be served. Not when the stakes are so high, when doing what is accomplished by the human eye and mind would not accomplish what God accomplished through Jesus Christ for humanity. So maybe Peter doesn't deserve any partial credit at all. Maybe placing limits on God because of human desires is something exactly from the devil. Because there is just too much at stake. To announce Jesus as the Messiah before his true glorification would be inadequate and incomplete. For the Son of Man must undergo suffering, rejection, and death. It is precisely for this reason that his followers, including Peter, would eventually take up their crosses and lose their lives. But in case you missed it, Jesus will rise again glorified. And the persecuted and martyred disciples will be given new life. Too often Jesus' prediction is taken to mean that his mission was principally to suffer and die. Many theologians insist that that idea must be resisted. The fact that the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, and die signifies not divine design, but a political inevitability when one poses challenge to the visions, structures, practices, and power of empire. To simply make Jesus' suffering normative in his case, and for that matter, for the sake of discipleship, would betray God's aim to rid the world of oppressive and suffering structures. No, Jesus was not on a mission to die, but his death would result from his faithfulness to God's mission to heal. Jesus would die because he would not falter in his mission and commitment to human healing. Such a mission would not be dialed back to prevent or ease his suffering or even to spare his life. Not when the stakes are so high. It should not surprise us that God's commitment to the healing of humanity is without limits, as is God's healing power. Not when the stakes are so high. So, what are we to do in response to God's commitment to transforming broken structures and healings of humanity today. 
Jesus' answer is to deny oneself, to carry one's cross and follow him. Let's start with taking up one's cross. I believe that Jesus is inviting us to follow his commitments, his actions, and even their consequences. As a follower of Christ, we are to participate in efforts that resist all practices that cause harm and destruction, promote inequality and injustice, and deal needless death and suffering. We are to stand in compassionate solidarity with the marginalized and oppressed. And we are to love in ways that transform others, be trans by others, and transform the world. However, when the self is at the center, taking up one's cross is nearly impossible. When the self is at the center, privileges and so-called rights are difficult to relinquish or even share. When the self is at the center, domination and control are justifiable, to some even preferable. When the self is at the center, seeking the goodwill and well-being of others is rarely an option. When the self is at the center, there is no space, no time, and no reason to consider Jesus. However, removing the self from the center can make taking up the cross life-giving. True discipleship is not possible without taking up the cross or denying of the self. It is only when we accept Jesus' command to do both does Jesus become one's true Messiah, the suffering one who laid down his life for others, the one who does not and will not falter in his quest for a just and healed world because the stakes are too high. Amen. stand as you are able. Let us profess our faith by saying together the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty,
God of hope, help us to struggle in our daily life and work when we lose our purpose. When we bow to hatred. When we take offense at others. When we compromise our values. When we cherish regrets. When we surrender to sorrow. As we accept your love ever new and offer our prayers unto you, we pray and give thanks for our Bishop Kristen, for Olivia Bowers, Linda Callard, the Reverend Richard Elberfeld, Leigh Gorman, Kathleen Jenks, Nicole Ivey, Ryan Patel, Ted Russell, and Presiding Bishop Michael Curry. For the victims of the mass shootings in our country throughout the past week in Atlanta, Georgia, Birmingham, Alabama, Carson, California, Montgomery, Alabama, Burnsville, Minnesota, Middleton, Wisconsin, Indianapolis, Indiana, Allentown, Pennsylvania. For the victims of the wars in Uganda, Ukraine, Sudan, Israel, Palestine, and for the unrest throughout the Middle East. Hold us and all people in your loving care. May the peace of the Lord be always with you. My friends, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, and offering it as sacrifice to God.
The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who was tempted in every way as we are, yet did not sin. By his grace we are able to triumph over every evil and to live no longer for ourselves alone, but for him who died for us and rose again. Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you, in your mercy, sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension, we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be for your people, the body and blood of your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending life in him. Sanctify us also, that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and serve you in unity, constancy, and, pe and peace. And at the last day, bring us with Blessed Mary, Mother of God, and all your saints into the joy of your eternal kingdom. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.
gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving.
Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food in the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Bow your head before the Lord. Keep this family, Lord, with your never-failing mercy, that relying solely on the help of your heavenly grace, they may be upheld by your divine protection. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God.